0: Hello, everybody. I'm Dave Bernard, the associate professor in the radio program at Columbia College Chicago, and this is Radio Stories. These are the final stories students in my radio storytelling class put together: essays for audio. I think you'll enjoy these stories. They come from all levels of the human experience put together by students who really worked hard on these final projects. Radio Stories on WCRX. <laughs>
1: I was in the church before I could talk, or walk, or sit up, or think. Sunday school, Lutheran school starting in pre-K, VBS, Bible study, the whole nine yards. It would be dumb of me not to admit that my life, my morals, my ethics, my personality, my whole life has been dictated by the way I was brought up. Praise be to God, I guess. My dad's favorite story that he still likes to tell his friends took place the weekend after my preschool graduation. I remember being so excited because I got my first piece of jewelry at that graduation. A teeny class ring that I wore with complete and absolute pride. My dad was doing a sermon at his church about children. Or maybe it was about growing older, I don't remember, I was five. He brought me up onto the altar during the middle of his sermon. I can't remember if he warned me about this or not. Anyway, my dad told his congregation, my daughter Rennie has graduated preschool this week. I remember being so happy and excited about all the attention. I wanted to show off my new ring. So I grew a big fat smile, held up my hand, and waved my tiny little middle finger up in the sky. a congregation of old conservative Christians. Sorry, let me just restate that to you so you can understand. I flipped off an entire church congregation at the age of five next to my dad, the pastor of said church. Throughout the rest of my life, I've always beaten myself up over the fact that I kind of continue to flip off the church in different ways. Not on purpose, but it's just the way things have ended up happening. Like when I came out as gay to my Christian classmates in freshman year of high school. In a way, that felt like I was giving Jesus the finger. I didn't know, and still don't know, if that made me feel empowered and proud of myself, or ashamed and angry with myself for, I guess, damning myself to hell, or the time that I decided to no longer attend church with the rest of my family. A big no-no in the church. The pastor's family is supposed to show up every Sunday to every potluck, to every community gathering. I chose not to. Another middle finger. Like I said, I don't know if I'm proud of these defiances against a higher authority or not. Hell, I don't even know if I believe in a higher authority. I'm still trying to figure it out. Still, I guess I'm going to be accidentally flipping off Jesus for the rest of my life. Just by existing. But hey, don't we all do that every
2: day?
3: Be the best version of yourself. You've heard this before, and it's really confusing because it doesn't make any sense. Depending on where I am or who I'm with, I can be polar opposites. Neither one is inauthentic. The different versions of myself have a place and a purpose. I found out the only way for me to be the most authentic version of myself in an unexpected environment is to be tricked. Back in 2016, I was slinging coffee at my local Starbucks. I honestly love the gig because it was a solid blend of customer service and free coffee. There's a kind of rhythm to the work. Customer comes to the counter. Barista acts as though they're delighted that they came in today, and they're the only person they want to be talking to in that moment. Customer engages in small talk. Barista puts on a customer service smile and quips back with some witty banter while complimenting their order. They say their goodbyes, have a good one, thanks, you as well, and they walk away. The real art to the coffee trade is being able to identify regulars and actually make a connection with them. It's harder than you think. I would work in an 11 foot by 11 foot kiosk for eight and a half hours a shift, five days a week or more if I could get the overtime. During my shifts, I would make hundreds of coffees to many customers who couldn't be bothered enough to look up from their phones to say, oh, hello to you do. In the time I worked there, I had a few regulars who not only reciprocated at my attempts at conversation, but genuinely took an interest in me as well. Leslie was one of the regulars I had been chatting with for years. In July of 2016, she changed my life. While we were catching up on how her family was doing and how her summer was going, she paused, looked at me, and asked if I had ever done any work for radio. I was flattered. I reacted with, I was a theater major at the time, and did a little voiceover work in high school. She reached into her purse and pulled out a business card for WGHN radio station. Before she walked off, she told me to give her a call, because she would love for me to stop over and meet the on-air guys. My co-worker walked back from her lunch, and I grabbed her by the shoulders, and probably a little loudly blurted, I think I just got discovered. Naturally, she had no idea what I was talking about, so I replayed the entire scene to her, and we realized how cliché and awesome it actually was. On the day, I arrived early to make sure I found the place in plenty of time. I strolled in wearing a nice button-up short sleeve shirt and shorts. I wanted to make a good first impression, but I know Leslie and she always jokes that in radio, you don't have to care how you look. I'd never been in a professional radio station before, and I was kind of geeking out. I had only been in the waiting area for about three minutes, and she stopped over and guided me back to the main studio. I took a seat opposite side of the soundboard from Jesse Bruce and Jeff Rose, two big bearded guys. Jeff has full tattoo sleeves and Jesse has a gold earring. They gave off such cool vibes. I leaned over to introduce myself and shake both of their hands. Jesse told me I sound like a little James Earl Jones. They gave me a rundown of what it's like to be an on-air talent, all with heavy sarcasm and quips, part of the job. I felt so naturally comfortable around them. I was joking back, and it ended up turning into a gossiping session about some of my fellow high school actors who had done press there for shows, and what they were really like in person. They leaned back and whispered with each other for about 30 seconds. Jesse stood up with a big grin and told me, I got the gig. I got the what No, He repeated, I got the internship. Apparently I had beaten out like a dozen other applicants because they liked how calm and relaxed I was. See what I mean? I was tricked. Not that it's a bad thing, I just had no idea this was an interview. I should have put the puzzle pieces together, but I didn't, and it worked out. I love the phrase paying your dues. The coffee shop was a platform with hundreds of early hours and minimum wage, but every customer was a conversation. It wasn't about the job I was doing, it was about the connections I was making with people like Leslie. Who was wondering what a kid with a voice for radio was doing slinging coffee?
4: And we thought that it was just like a really sick joke. After, you know, talking, we found out that it was true and we learned some more details about it. That's
5: Sarah, my little sister. In March of 2019, my family had said goodbye to my grandma, Pat, at her age of 92. So after grandma's funeral, we dropped Sarah back off at her dorm at UT Chattanooga, and we said our goodbyes, but what we didn't realize is that what we thought had already been a challenging week was only just the start of what was to come. same night we dropped Sarah off, her friend Joe was supposed to be driving back from Knoxville to Chet. Unfortunately, Joe was in an accident and had passed away. A year later, Sarah shares a reflection with us about her relationship with Joe, her experience with grief, and the impact that this had on her.
4: Joe was my first friend at college. He lived directly across the hallway from me, and I first met him just because he was, like, skateboarding up and down the hallways and playing with hacky sacks in the middle lobby area. And from there, we became so close. We would get breakfast every Monday, Wednesday, Friday together, and lunch most of the other days. He would be over at my dorm. At for, at for some reason, every single day. Like, if he forgot something there, if he needed something, he wanted to hang out. Um, if he wanted to listen to music, music was, like, the biggest part of my friendship with Joe was if there was nothing else better to do, we would just go sit in his car and jam out to weird, like, old folk music, and it was just his thing. It was his favorite thing to do, and I loved every second of it. Joe is one of those people who leaves an impact on every single person that he meets or is just around to the point where he had an entire mega church full at his funeral of people that just adored him and knew him on such a close personal level. They would just, you know, talk about how he would just make every day a little bit better. Or he would, you know, be so funny in class and make them look forward to their class or he would do some insane amazing art project and they all just admired it and to the point where he made one art project and he turned it into a skateboard and he rode it around on campus and he was known for that at UTC. Everyone knew that he was the skateboard guy and it was just amazing the impact that he left behind. To hear the news that your best friend at school had passed away in a car accident. It was extremely blunt and a wake-up call in my life. I would close the windows. I couldn't listen to music because it was so painful. Everything reminded me of him and his spirit and his, you know, just everything. I couldn't feel like I could go outside because I'd have to pass his door every day. I would leave Having to see his family come and pick up his things out of his room was so difficult. And having to help pack up his stuff was so difficult. Everything was crippling for me. And I had to basically try to escape from that. And I let myself go and I failed all my classes. And I really didn't go and reach out for the help that I needed during that time but not every situation can end perfectly and happy. Like I had to go through that extremely hard part and see myself fail for myself to kind of get out of that hole and start to better myself and to grow and learn from his death. I've learned that it's not a problem to be sad about things but it is a problem to let yourself get completely consumed by them, which was a habit that I really struggled with. I'm in a much more hopeful place now, and I'm happy to see Joe in everyday life. He's on my lock screen. He did my stick-and-poke tattoo when I was being a quirky college kid trying to fit in and got a stick-and-poke. He was the one that did it, and it's a little ghost on my arm, and I think that's kind of fitting for the situation, And I'm actually very happy that I have that on my arm now because I love it. It's like the perfect little memory of him and something that he, you know, did for me. And I have a record of his, The Blue Oyster Cult. I have that hanging on my wall. And that's some music that we used to listen to all the time together. That was his favorite band. And I'm very lucky that I was able to have any little thing of him to hold on to and some you know, of course, thousands of videos of that kid because he would always sing and dance and do funny stuff that we had to document because no one would believe it if we didn't. And so luckily, he was a very documented person and I can always just look back and smile at these videos and listen to this music. And for the longest time, I wasn't even able to listen to that music. It would break my heart every time. But now it's an integral part of my day.
6: When people look back on their freshman year of college, they typically think about off the hook parties with booze and bros and that one douchebag with a guitar who's not really playing anything, just gliding his hands over the strings whilst thinking he's Kurt Cobain. My crazy college nights consisted of riding back and forth on the subway alone because I'm the picked lass for sports and gym kind of person. I would try to get a seat where I could just stare out the window and act as though I was on the boulevard of broken dreams. Because no one would have cared. I mean, I didn't. One particular December night, I was freezing at the Howard bus stop because I was too dumb to get back on the 24 hour red line train. I was under the impression that it was illegal to get back on the train without paying. Nevertheless, I was hugging the side of the indoor-outdoor bus stop, what you call it, and I put on my best not-in-the-mood face and pressed shuffle on my melodramatic 2000s jams playlist. No stranger dare talks to me as I dare not talk to them. Yet another dumb assumption I had. From the corner of my eye i see a shadowy mass waddle up beside me and it shouts inches from my face hey girl it was a woman who was either aged by time or aged by crack she had this frizzy salt and pepper hair that was tucked underneath a fargo looking winter hat She hoisted several hefty shopping bags onto this MASSIVE black winter coat she had on and her teeth were noticeably... WRONG. She was the only person in the universe that didn't just straight up assume I was a boy, and unlike the workers at Panera who don't trust that my name is my name, I was happy to indulge this confident woman who I chose to name Yukon. Yukon desperately needed to tell me. Girl, you're so thin. Do you eat? You need to eat. She continued. Girl, you're so pretty. Do you have a boyfriend? This Nanny McPhee Pomona Sprout looking rando, unlike my entire family, assumes I'm straight. And she assumes correctly. This time, I actually answer back with more than a, oh, thank you. And I tell her I'm unattached. And she's horrified. But she reassures me You're gonna find a good man and get married. I wanna see you get married. I wanna be at your wedding and see you get married. You'll invite me to your wedding, right? I told her, of course if not just for the fact that I wanted to marry her right on the spot. Yukon makes her way onto the bus before me and, before I even have a second to process if that was even real or not, she shouts directly at me. Hey girl, you're gonna invite me to your wedding so I can see you get married. She sits there with a big old grin. Shopping bags plopped all around her like she's on a throne of worthless stuff. She's like my scary godmother of sorts. I wish I had a chance to say goodbye. Because in my headphones, to the literal song, I Will Remember You by Sarah McLaughlin. I peered out the back bus window raised my hands into glass and watched her waddle out of my life forever. When I look back on my freshman year of college, I think about empty subway cars with booze and bros and that one song with a guitar by Kurt Cobain. Strangers casually waddling into my life like it's no big deal long-awaited praise that comes from where you least suspect it, a friendship that'll last forever. Me and my maid of honor, a Yukon. Uh.
7: an only child i never wanted siblings growing up and honestly after seeing what my uncles are like now i think i dodged a bullet that being said i was never alone growing up our house was full of various pets which i always considered them the closest thing i had to a brother or sister just with a lot more fur much more adorable and without the sibling drama mostly that is just like people however animals come and go in our lives and Many times their stay is much shorter. I've loved hard with every fur baby that has entered our home. There's one animal, though, that has given more to our family than any of us could have ever expected. It's a typical winter blizzard in Wisconsin, and school has been canceled for a snow day. My grandparents came to visit for a few days, so I get to spend my day home from fifth grade, exhausting them with whatever plan of action I conceive. I decide that it's best for us to do my usual perusing of the local Humane Society website. After watching several YouTube videos recently, I'm on the search for a guinea pig. We're about 10 minutes into the search and it's going rather well because my grandparents have yet to shut me down about it. See, my parents couldn't stand to see how sad I got every time I got prematurely attached to an animal that we couldn't bring home. This was especially the case with cats, as my dad had claimed all of my life that he was allergic. Thankfully, being your grandparents' only cute and charming granddaughter comes with its perks. When I was six years old, they let me bring home a one-pound ball of fur to live at their house. I got to visit her whenever I wanted, and that was normal for me. So if we couldn't have a cat at our house, then a guinea pig would surely be fine. When my mom got home from work, I filled her in on all the possible adoptees. Of course, to no one's surprise, she did not want this. My grandma could not bear to see me so crushed. And being the coolest grandma she is, she told my mom it could live at her house too. I think my mom could have exploded right then and there. She took a second inside and asked to put the topic on hold for the night. I reluctantly did, but my mind raced with the thoughts of a potential new guinea pig in the family. The next morning, my grandparents headed home, and school was back on. On the drive there, my mom said that we could go look at guinea pigs when she picked me back up at the end of the day. I was ecstatic. The final bell rings, and I raced down the stairs and out the door to meet my mom we arrive at the humane society and the lady behind the desk takes us to the small animal area and lets me attempt to hold the guinea pigs seeking a forever home none of them want to come out the excitement in my eyes starts to fade my mom can see it too and even though she didn't want one to begin with she hates to see me sad the worker leaves us to talk and then my mom does something odd she takes me to the cat area I laugh at her and remind her that we can't have cats at home they are all taking naps or want nothing to do with us we decide to call it a day and head out but all of a sudden my mom gets whacked in the head i turn around and at the very top cage by the door a gray paw is sticking out he makes me laugh again and i've already forgotten about the guinea pigs my mom looks at me and then she takes me with her to ask the staff if we can meet him Shortly after, Griffin, the cat, is rubbing up against us and purring so loud that I think the people outside the door could hear. My mom knows she did something bad, but it's too late now. She's already sold. She puts in the paperwork and a few days later, we come back to get him, still without my father's knowledge. We get home and hide him in our spare bedroom before my dad gets home from work. My mom has to take me to my weekly religion class and then head off to a meeting of her own. The whole time, I zone out thinking about what our new cat is up to. My mom picks me up a few hours later and I sneak up to the guest bedroom, making sure to avoid running into my dad, although he is nowhere to be found. We open the door and to our surprise, my dad has already met our new family member is lying on his stomach getting plenty of ear scratches they are now the best of friends we didn't know it then, but our new cat would be so important to our whole family but especially my father in the years to come a week before i started my freshman year of high school my dad was diagnosed with bile duct cancer a terminal diagnosis when my dad got sick griffin never left his side he would wait out the door for my father to return from his chemo treatments and stint replacements just as he did the years prior when he would come home from work. I often questioned who my dad loved more, the cat or me. Two years after he got sick, my dad's battle with cancer ended during his home hospice care. When the coroner came to take his body, Griffin ran out the door after him. Their bond was something so strong. I can never thank my furry pal enough for the love and care he gave my dad. Even though my dad is gone, Having Griffin with me reminds me that my dad was well taken care of. We miss him a lot, but we have each other. So for my dad, I make sure our little buddy is taken care of now too, even if he isn't a guinea pig.
8: I remember being really happy You know, I grew up with two hardworking parents who loved me, I lived in a really nice neighborhood, I went to a really good school, and I played travel sports. Looking back on it, I realize now that there were a lot of things I didn't understand. A lot of things about my mom that I didn't understand specifically. This one night, me and my dad were driving home from one of my softball tournaments and he got this phone call. It was probably like 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and when he'd answered the phone, I remember it was like the entire mood in the car shifted. I knew what the call was about almost immediately. I could hear the strain in my dad's voice, you know. The anger he was trying so hard to hide for my sake. But I knew. I always knew. He hung up the phone but remained silent. I'd asked him, is it mom? He took a while to finally answer me, but when he did, he said yeah. It was the answer I'd been expecting. I'd asked him who called you, what's going on? At that point, I was like 13 years old, and I knew some things, but I didn't know the whole story. You know, there were times when I'd notice my mom start to act really weird. She'd slur her words or say things that didn't make much sense to me, but me being so young at that point, I'd always assumed she was just tired. My dad had eventually explained to me that night that the person who called him was a parent on my little brother's baseball team. The parent had told my dad that my mom was there acting strange. She'd been falling over, slurring her words, and the parents were really concerned about her. In fact, one parent even thought she was having some kind of diabetic episode. My dad pulled into our driveway. He told me to go inside the house and wait for him. He was going to get my mom and Casey, my little brother. I think that night was the first night I started to realize that things were not as they seemed. I remember walking in my house and things just felt really off. I was really scared. I curled up to my dog and I waited for what felt like hours for my family to come home. The longer I waited, the more anxious I got. And when I finally heard the keys in the front door, I remember my heart stopped. It's so crazy because this night happened over seven years ago now, but I still remember everything like it happened yesterday. I could hear my mom yelling at the top of her lungs. I remember racing down the stairs to get a glimpse of her and I saw that she and my dad were outside arguing. I could hear her words slurring like they always did when she was tired. She was tired a lot of the time. I don't think I'd ever seen my dad so angry before in my entire life. Just get inside the house, he barked at her. You've embarrassed me and you've embarrassed Casey. That's a thing that kind of sucks about having a parent who's an alcoholic. It's like this little dark secret that you don't want anyone else to know about. For a really long time after that night, I was so angry at her. How could she do this to us? How could she embarrass us like that? It took me a really long time, a lot of years, to realize that it wasn't about us or me. My mom has battled the same demons since she was a little girl. Demons that I will never be able to understand, which in a weird way is something I'm thankful for. It's taken me a long time to come to terms with her alcoholism. Growing up, we would always fight about it. I used to find half-empty bottles of liquor in the weirdest places around the house. I'd always dump them and then leave them out so she'd know exactly what I'd done. It led to a lot of arguments. A lot of arguments that I regret. And I still have a hard time understanding the drinking. When I was little, I looked up to my mom more than anyone else. You know, I had this image of her in my head as a strong, passionate, kind woman. I think when that image began to fall, it was really hard for me to accept. I don't think I'll ever be able to fully understand why she drinks. I don't think I'll ever be able to fully accept that part of her. She's missed games, graduations, prom pictures, birthdays, things that we will never be able to get back. She missed out on a lot. We missed out on a lot together. I think the hardest part about this for me was trying to understand that my mom's actions and decisions were out of my control. I tried for so many years to get her to stop. I tried for so many years to make things better. We all have our demons, and in a perfect world there would be no demons, but that's not reality. Sometimes the only thing you can do is love someone for who they are. Flaws and all. And that's a lesson I've been forced to learn the hard way.
0: This is WCRX 88.1 FM, Chicago, and this is Radio Stories.
9: I used to think that life-changing experiences weren't an actual thing. That changed for me when I was 13 years old. I remember that summer, my father invited me to come see one of my favorite bands at the time, Blue Oyster Cult, play somewhere in Indiana that I can't remember. I'd always been a casual fan of music and I enjoyed listening to it but I never would have expected what happened to me at that show that summer. It was your typical concert atmosphere and there was honestly nothing too special about it at the beginning. The crowd was getting excited and everyone on stage was tuning their instruments and getting ready to go and such. And to be perfectly frank, I really didn't think much of it. But then they started their set and immediately something was different to me. For whatever reason, the bass guitar was the only thing I could seem to focus on. It was just completely drowning out every other instrument on stage. As a kid who casually listened to music, I'd always obviously been aware of the bass guitar, but I'd never noticed it like this before. It seemed to be taking command of the entire performance, and it wasn't just supplementary to the guitar work, it was melodic and following its own sort of groove. I've honestly never heard anything like it before or since that performance that night. It interested me so much that I felt like I wanted to learn how to play that stringed instrument and to this day I honestly can't tell you why. In fact, I remember being so interested that I went home that night and started teaching myself the basics of bass guitar even though I didn't even have one yet. That was a really big deal for me at the time, because I'd never had a serious hobby of any sort really, and to see someone's craft done like that live in front of me, and just to have that sort of impact, it was the first time I actually wanted to do something productive with my time. I've actually met a lot of my better friends through music, and I like to think that we wouldn't have really related to each other in the first place if I didn't have this experience of being impacted by music the way they are. That whole concert experience always reminds me how important it is to pursue things that actually have a personal impact on you. Following that way of thinking has helped me meet a lot of good people and I'm honestly very glad I picked it up at that show that night. Even to this day I still kill time strumming away at my bass to Blue Oyster Cult songs. It's one of the few things I do with the utmost confidence because thinking back on that experience always makes me realize that I genuinely love doing it.
2: So we all know by now about quarantine probably a little too well. COVID, coronavirus, Rona, if you will. Well, I was living my new, normal life, getting up at 11.45 a.m. and showering at noon, which I guess you could say turned out to be my biggest downfall. It was Monday, April 13th. I was getting ready for the first day of my last five-week class at Columbia College. It was a no-hair wash day, so my hair was up and my music blared throughout the bathroom as I showered in extra hot water. Steam rapidly filled the room. You know, standard, right? I was singing my Sad Girl Hours playlist embarrassingly loudly in my not-so-soundproof apartment when I heard incessant banging at my front door. I cut my shower short, wrapped myself in a towel, and answered the door. Now see, I've never met my neighbors before. Seen them, sure. Heard them in the hall, definitely. But the fact that I met them for the first time answering the door in a towel on a no-hair-wash day? God, I could die of embarrassment just thinking about it. Never mind the fact that they were banging on my door to let me know my apartment was just set on fire from the outside. Realization kicked in. The steam in the shower wasn't just steam. It had been too cloudy in there and too quickly. I couldn't think. I literally told the girl at the door I don't know what to do as my apartment filled with smoke. I shut the door on her and threw on some clothes and just sort of paced back and forth trying to think of a plan. My cat was under the bed. I knew I had to grab her, but she's always been so timid and finicky. I grabbed her cat bag from the hall closet and tried to reach her as it was becoming harder and harder to breathe. The front door slammed open as large firefighters tore their way through my apartment and into my bedroom, where the smoke was coming in from the window in my closet. I stood on my bed, dumbfounded, as they all squeezed inside. My bedroom is the size of a glorified closet, so in any other circumstance, this would have been a funny sight. They told me to get out. I told them my cat was under the bed. Um, My cat's underneath my bed. I have to get her. They told me he'd be fine. They misgendered her, which... Honestly, really annoyed me. They forced me out. I stood my ground in the hallway, not letting them kick me out of the building. Not until I had my cat with me. I'm making myself sound more brave by doing this. I was reckless. I didn't care. Maybe it didn't matter that the fire hadn't fully made its way into the unit, but it was still dangerous. Also, I was crying. A lot. So, not very heroic of me. Eventually, they let me back inside when it was clear I refused to leave. I peeked inside my room. They had torn the wall of my closet down completely, opening my bedroom to the outside. I scrambled for my cat under the bed. She wasn't there. She wasn't underneath the couch, either. She wasn't anywhere. I started yelling and maybe crying some more at the firefighters. How could you let her escape? Weren't you watching for her? You said she'd be fine. couldn't think about anything but her. The damage, my possessions, nothing mattered but her. The fire wasn't my fault, but if something had happened to her, I would have never forgiven myself. They found her cowering in the corner of the kitchen counter. She'd never been up there before, so it wasn't a place I'd thought to look. I scooped her up and clutched her, and she clutched me back. We made our way outside like that together. Some neighbors from upstairs lent me their extra cat carrier. Mine was stuck under clothes and debris. My dad came and brought me a thermos of hot tea. My mom and stepdad arrived shortly after, where I sat in their car for hours until I was asked to speak with investigators. Someone left their lit cigarette on the back porch, they said, which set my bedroom wall on fire. There are so many things I want to say to this person, but the only thing I will say is this. If you're a smoker and you live in an apartment building, don't be stupid. I was left without a home for a few weeks because of the actions of someone else. But at the end of the day, and as cliche as this is, the most important thing is that I am here, and my cat is here, unharmed, curled up against me as I speak. Don't be stupid.
10: As a musician, I often have nostalgic moments to look back on to see how long my passion for music has lasted and where it began. For some, it was picking up a guitar for the first time. Others point to a specific band or a specific song that influenced them. For me, it was when I first showcased my musical talents on stage in front of a whole crowd of people. I still remember that day like it was yesterday. Particularly how I felt like I was gonna pass out on stage. So, what events led me to this moment? Well, for as far back as I can remember, I've always been a shy individual. I mean just the sheer thought of having the eyes of others trace on me has always shaken me to my very core. Stage fright in particular has always been a big fear of mine. It was a fear that I never could have dreamed to conquer. But one day in 2015, I did just that. I've always been a big music guy, particularly hard rock and heavy metal, and the year prior, I decided to start playing guitar. When I told my parents this, they indulged my interest, buying me a Gibson Les Paul electric guitar and enrolling me in lessons. After multiple sessions with my guitar instructor, my playing style was quickly improving. So much so, that my instructor suggested that I join a band. I was hesitant at first, I mean, me? In a band? The thought never even crossed my mind. But I had to admit, the idea of feeling like a real musician started to draw me in. At first, it was difficult for me and my fellow bandmates to find common ground. I can't tell you how difficult it was for us to come to an agreement on what kind of music we were going to play. I mean, their taste in music was strictly pop-punk, alternative rock, mainstream rock, radio rock, things of that nature. And
3: let's just
10: say my taste in music was a little bit more heavier than theirs. (laughs) After much debate, we finally settled on grunge as the genre of music we were each comfortable playing. Because this particular genre incorporates elements of both heavy music and catchy music. We practiced for several weeks and then came the big day. The day where we finally got our first gig at some dimly lit bar in Bolingbroke, Illinois, named Tailgaters. Which leads us up to where I first began in this story. Like I was going to pass out or mess up the song in some way because my nerves were getting the best of me. I knew I couldn't let that happen, so I just plugged in my guitar, took a deep breath, and did my thing. The first song we started off with was Lounge Act by Nirvana. After a few sharp moments, the feeling of dread and anxiety that was surging through my body just faded away. Then it finally sunk in. I was live on stage playing the music that I love and feeling like a real musician. And at that very moment my love for performing live was born. I think of that day often. I did something so out of my comfort zone and I didn't let my fear get the better of me. Since that day I have performed many times. Although I am not currently in a band and I'm taking a break from playing live, My love for performing continues. When I inevitably return to the stage, fear will not be present, only sheer excitement and joy. Stay tuned.
11: There's something about swamps, lush, dark, and deep. I grew up for a time in Southern Georgia, not far from Savannah. We lived in a suburb further out from town and were surrounded on all sides by marshes and nature. Not long after I found my pack of friends, we located our headquarters in a small swamp crammed between suburbs. We built a world of our own. It is a world that we made out of stolen deck pieces and hammers and nails snuck out of our house. We each build little homes away from home. The structures are precarious, likely to fall apart from poor construction or the elements themselves. A creek ran through the center of our camp, small but constant in its movements. It is a secret world, disbanded any time we run into adults or the teenagers of the neighborhood who like to play airsoft on our turf. There are a billion ways to pass the time. We try unsuccessfully to build boats that always end up sinking with whoever it is on it, screeching when their feet touch the water or the squishy mud below. We always keep an eye open for alligators, which are pretty unlikely, and copperheads, which are... A little too likely manhunt is our game of the year and i love to hide in the swamp there are plenty of places to disappear behind and plenty you can get to that people don't want to follow after you we play manhunt all the time professionals of the game and the area today is unlike any other lexi my best friend is it and i'm tall enough that i've gotten up on a platform we built into the tree Lexi is solidly shorter than me, and she can't reach quite as easily. Lexi would much rather chase Trevor anyways, as Trevor's the cute boy of our neighborhood, and Lexi always has a solid shot with whatever guy she's after. I don't stay up on my platform for long, though. I'm too eager to get down and get into chasing after someone. I stand on the other side of the creek when it happens. Trevor screams. I scramble to see what happened. I leap across the creek after him, only to find Lexi already helping Trevor get up and walk away. Okay. This isn't too bad. Then I see the stump. I look up as Lexi helps Trevor across the creek. I can't see his leg, but I know instantly what's happened. The ground isn't even near the creek, and he must have tripped up and fallen right onto the sharp stump. I run to where Trevor usually hangs out and grab all of his stuff and catch up after the pair limping away. The severity of the injury is clear with the trail of blood I followed to reach them. His mom sees us from ways off and runs down to check over her son. She's not happy with us. She takes him to the hospital. Trevor does not come back to the swamp. And our parents must talk somehow, or maybe I bail and wrap myself out because my mom urges me to stay away from it. Or be careful if I am there. The tree stump is not the only reason, but it's the final straw. I run into Trevor at school and find out he had to get 13 stitches in his leg. We don't exactly stay friends afterward. Lexi and I still journey out to the swamp occasionally, and at some point we build more little houses out there, a little further away from where our old ones were. However, I never go out there like I used to. But I still love being in the swamp. I would say it's universal to love the swamp, except that swamps are humid and people hate humidity. Also, it's doubtful that Trevor still likes them. But we're all thankful for our time running wild out there. I've never felt more in charge and in my element than I did back then. There were dangers, yet I was confident that I could handle anything being thrown at me. It was like being the kings and queens of our childhood kingdom.
12: I'm... Really, not having fun right now. I know what you're probably thinking. Cole, there's a global pandemic outside. You can play all the games you want, catch up on your shows, and even not have to wear pants. Yeah, those are fun things to do, but when you're by yourself, they aren't fun anymore. This pandemic has dashed all of my plans for this year, and sure it has for everyone else, but all I can do is focus on me. I'm recording this in my parents' basement, in my closet, surrounded by old clothes and broken guitars and a lamp that's bent the wrong way, and somehow, even inside this small room, I'm still freezing my ass off. All of my friends are states away. My friends that are here can't go outside, and even the bartending certification I got to find work in Chicago is now useless. I'm graduating this Friday, but now I don't know if my degree will even be effective out in Michigan. And... Worst of all, I I miss my friends. We used to do so much together back in Chicago. We'd play games, go outside, hit the bar or two, but now they're all gone. I miss being able to watch old VHS anime with my buddies, or even just talking about video games from the 90s. I can't do that here. I don't even watch TV anymore because doing it by myself is so unenjoyable, and I feel like I barely get any time to myself because of my parents having me go outside and get groceries. Regardless, that's the only free time I have. My parents always say the basement is my own little place, quote-unquote. But when nearly every night my sister uses the TV downstairs to play Call of Duty with her boyfriend, or when my other sister comes down to watch a movie, or even when my youngest sister goes on the TV to play Fortnite, it's just a reminder that it's not my own little place. They always said, Well, if you're recording, then let us know. Despite me letting you know... You're all still super loud upstairs, which makes it really hard to record. And even if I do something like live stream, my sisters will watch it to see when I'm done live streaming, so they can come downstairs and start doing what they planned on doing before I started. I feel censored. I just feel like I'm back in high school, pretending to go to college.
13: Family. The theme of our football season to carry out was family, or that's what they wanted us to believe. The coaches tried their best at unifying the team, especially after the previous season's miserable record. The head coach thought making a trip to the Christian brothers' house, we would have a legal three-day practice. When I just say state rules only allow two practices during the morning and evening, eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner with one another and had a team of position meetings with a little opportunity for bonding time would bring us together for some nostalgic moment like this was Remember the Titans. Well, he was wrong. The fact remained that none of us truly ever liked each other. Coaches were secretly beefing, and when school started back, we knew each that we would go back to our small friend groups waiting for us. We lost our first game of the season. It was a close one, but Still, people like to start to point fingers and blame one another. That Monday practice was so full of tension, and it had just reached its boiling point. My favorite coach and another coach got into it over a player, and words were exchanged that I can't repeat. The next day felt like something out of a rumor mill on ESPN. Some kids that were closer to my favorite coach than me let me know what happened before I received the call later that day. On that phone call, I heard a man defeated, betrayed, and full of sadness with a hint of anger. He had just been fired with no explanation during the middle of a season that had just begun. I hoped to hear something from the other coaches about the situation, but it was as if they were all walking on eggshells trying to keep quiet. Well, of course, came the rumors. Rumors of me getting ready to quit, which many people weren't wrong about. I had thought long after last season about transferring after what had happened as we were completely dismantled and humbled. Kids were transferring left and right, but this coach convinced me to stay and be a leader. After the phone call, I walked around school with a chip on my shoulder that day, not talking to any of the coaches that taught or worked That's going the hallway. Walking in the lunchroom, not acknowledging anybody but my friends, and the lunch lady that was always nice and gave me extra food. I had three classes left and then I had a decision to make. I would go to the locker room later than rest of the team, grab my equipment and sit trying to figure out what my next steps would be. A game that was supposed to be about fun, discipline and character, had been tainted and tarnished behind the scenes with alumni looking out for one another in Chicago Catholic League conference politics. At this very moment, I realized there wasn't one big family, but rather multiple families with distant cousins. I made my decision, showing up to practice late, half-dressed, as my former protests to the decision that was made. Some of my friends and teammates looked relieved. From that moment on, things went downhill. I injured my knee trying to be a superhero and play through the pain in just the third game of the season. Something told me I should have taken it easy Because I had sprained it during summer training camp I was sidelined for majority of my senior season Depressed Talking to recruiters on crutches Banged up with as little support from the team as possible Yeah What a great family to be a part of Maybe there wasn't a big family But there were a couple guys I had built a four year relationship with We shed blood together motivated each other during our injuries, and pushed each other to get better. At the end of the season, we didn't make state, but we had a chance to win the Catholic League playoffs, and Coach wanted all the seniors to give a speech at what might be one of our last practices of the season. I searched my brain for something inspirational to say, but there was nothing deep I could think of but just to say thank you to the guys on the team for being the family I needed when I needed them there the most. We wouldn't win against St. Rita, due to some coaching decisions made by one coach many didn't agree with. I got into an argument with the new coach hire about a play me and a teammate made that almost got us the ball back on defense. He would sideline me, taking one of the key parts of the defense away, inserting an underclassman who didn't know the defensive playbook, yet, and expanding our short gap to a large gap that we couldn't come back from. I was finally at peace. I didn't have to argue anymore. I have found my brothers on the team and we had chosen to go to the skills showcase for the college scouts and recruiters instead of going to the banquet. I learned that the majority of the seniors didn't go and maybe that was the solidarity between all of us when the season didn't go as planned. And that maybe that even if the whole team wasn't a family, at least we were. We were the ones that went to war for each other, pushed each other to compete in and outside the classroom and be genuine human beings.
14: Depression is more than what you think, but this is my attempt to tell you how it feels. I feel like I'm drowning, like I'm an anchor, only put in water to sink. I'm burning like I've already seen my future, and I'm dark like my grave, waiting for my soul. Depressed. There's no way out. No feeling of faith or love. I'm broken. My heart has been crushed. Hatred. My soul has been stuffed. I'll never be saved because I'm just not enough. You can compare me to a bee. Expected to buzz around and help others with their problems whether she's insecure, or he's heartbroken. But the reality is, I can't even help me. It's these feelings I won't let you see. It's this world that we're living in, I'm desperate to flee. But I have to admit, it's time you all know. I have my own problems, deeper than snow. Snow, cold, brutal and can sometimes freeze such as the feeling of life itself I get stuck the feeling of loneliness I begin to ask does anyone even want me I wish I had the patience to be patient to have the confidence of a skyscraper yet I feel like I'm crowded in a basement a small underground of a house so large the walls you can't escape Not even if you hit them with full charge. I'll never get out. I'll never be free. These are my thoughts, these are my feelings. You don't have to agree. I undergo all these problems, the ones you'll never see. But I still move forward with a smile. I still do me. I cover up the hurt, I cover up the pain. No matter what it is, no matter what is said or done, he will never change. All alone, I'm lost, trapped in a cloud. These voices, they're screaming at me, rude and loud. I don't care anymore. I've lost all hope, faith, love. I'm just lost. I won't make it out. I'm stuck in this cloud, yet there's no moisture. It's a drought. There's a storm going on inside me that I can hardly see. There's no light. I'm so scared. I'm so lost, but I don't think I want to be found.
0: This is WCRX 88.1 FM, Chicago, and this is Radio Stories.
15: The first time that they tell you that you can go out and make art is super weird. When your passion projects are for a grade now, and when you're angry at an assignment and that's what makes it good, it's super weird. I was the smart one at my elementary school, but also the weird one. My memories before age 12 are pretty spotty, but I remember I was pulled out of class a lot because I was picking up concepts way too quickly and then I would get bored and be an absolute nuisance. I hated going to school because I already knew everything and I got along better with the adults than the other kids. I only took art in sixth grade and I was so happy to be done with it. I had no drawing ability and no interest in art history so therefore I was a complete failure and didn't even want to try. Our big project was painting PVC pipe didgeridoos. I made this elaborate plan based on traditional Australian art. And I got it approved and then quickly realized that there was no way I was going to be able to paint that on this giant pipe. So what did I do? A science experiment. I globbed as much paint as I could on the mouthpiece of that pipe and tried to see if I could get it to dry over the weekend. See what would stick, what would fall off, and what cool combinations of colors I could get. When I turned it in, I thought it rolled, but it didn't seem that my teacher was super impressed with my completely unplayable didgeridoo. Later that year, I had a breakdown in the study room of my local library because pre-AP math was hard and I was supposed to be the one that was good at math. High school was AP classes interspersed with music. I started violin in the sixth grade and was the child of a middle-aged former semi-rock star. So, of course, I sang. Allstate Jazz Choir is an absolute scam. Two years of intense practice and one callback later, I get passed up for a bass who doesn't practice and has a naturally massive mouth named Zane. Garbage. After that, choir became about me mentoring a group of 40 teens, my topaz babies, and orchestra was where the fun was. I even did a little music theory to impress a girl. But I must conquer. So I ran for senior class president and, surprisingly, won. Then they shoved me in a dark classroom with all the people who bullied me in middle school and expected me not to scream. I did not attend the senior prank I planned. My last choir performance was through teary eyes and was the song at the end of Portal, sung by the boss you just killed. I hugged my babies goodbye and vowed to do meaningful things. Graduation breathed new life into me, and I still have nightmares that they forced me to take PE after I cheated my way out of it with loopholes in the code of conduct. My childhood and teen years were great because they gave me the building blocks. I can churn out a research paper in a day, I'm excellent at Jeopardy, and I know enough about history to be mad about it. I'm happy to be able to tell my Topaz babies that I understand their tears. There is life after high school, and it is so much better, because the world allows you to try and solve problems that don't already have answers in the back of a textbook.
16: My parents were always, uh, you know, like, don't talk to strangers, especially in the city, Um, especially if they're homeless, because we live near an area where a homeless population is very like, prevalent and we hear stories on the news that makes us nervous to interact with other people. And I feel like this is true for all people. We, we are quiet around everybody. So hi, I'm Michael Turtilly. This is my story called A Cup of Change. I think it was in the winter. It was a little colder out and I was walking to Walgreens kind of upset and I see this homeless guy out front and I usually see him around there, usually talking to people, asking for change because he's stuck outside all day in the cold. I felt like doing something nice since I was in kind of a crappy mood. He asked for two large King's Snickers bars, and I remember that. I I don't know why I always remember that, but... He was doing like boxer motions at me, like as if he was Rocky. And I thought that was the funniest thing. And I check out and I'm walking out and he has the biggest smile on his face when he sees me. I hand him the two Snickers bars. And I was like, here you go, man, have a good one. I was like going to walk away. Cause at that point I was like, okay, you know, mission accomplished that that's, that's it. And I was walking away and he said, what, what does your sweatshirt say? And I said, oh, it's whatever forever. I'm like, huh, right? Like some words to live by. And he's like, I have some words for you to live by. He, he was like, well, it's more of a story. So he told me a story about a king and two of his peasants who ran off with his prized horse. And when he found the two peasants, they begged for their lives, and the king said that he would give them the most brutal execution. And one man begged for his life, while the other man, calm and composed, asked the king if he may speak. And as he spoke, he told the king that he could teach his horse to fly. And the guy said, well, one of three things are going to happen the king is going to die, I'm going to die, or I'm going to teach that horse to fly. And as he told me that, he said, I live my life as the king of optimism. I've been put in a bad situation, and I have done certain things wrong in my life, but that doesn't mean that I can't be optimistic and hope for change in the world. Somebody with so much charisma and character and and a heart, like, spoke out and told me a story. Even though it was really simple and it was for two Snickers bars, I would have paid to hear a story like that, especially at that time in my life when I was not very optimistic and where I was very closed off to talking to strangers. Honestly, I'm really glad that I did that and was able to help somebody out who is a charismatic person who's happy even though they're not in a good place in their life Um, and just be there for another human being as i would want somebody to be there for me
0: thanks for listening to radio stories spring 2020 We will have another radio story show soon here on WCRX. I'm Dave Berner, associate professor in the radio program. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
11: This podcast has been created in partnership with WCRX 88.1 FM, Chicago, Illinois. If you enjoyed that content, be sure to search WCRX wherever you get your podcasts for more access to our entire network.